Good day, Knoxville and beyond. You're listening to Tune Boys, and this is Luke Brogdon. And Adeem the Artist. The Knox music scene is a microcosm for the local politic and culture, and all over the world there are other towns with their own agoras, scenes where people gather to move and shake. We like to talk about the moving and the shaking and who is doing it and why. And each one of these will have its own focus, but that's kind of a distilled thesis of the podcast belief, really, that life in the world is kind of one big scene and we're all scenesters. So we will discuss through time how we might go about making it a good scene for everybody. Adeem, the artist, is from Syracuse, New York, where he formerly went by the songwriting moniker and legal name Kyle Adeem until he got tired of that guy and killed him off, emerging from his ashes as a fiery art folk phoenix known as Adeem, the artist, and flapping those gorgeous glittering golden wings down to Knoxville to share his jubilant tunes of agony with the people. He is about to release The Flamingo, the second of the Birds trilogy of EPs. He produces the Sound and Silence concert series at Central Collective, and he's going to be a daddy soon. Luke Brogdon is from Kingsport and got his journalism and film degree here at UT. He worked at AC Entertainment for a while. He had some manic depressive breakdowns back home, got help, and got his master's in special education at ETSU in 2012. He works at Central High and writes for Blank's newspaper. His band, Southern Cities, has two albums out and is working on their third. He produces the From the Living Room house concert series, and he has a little girl. Our guest today on The Maiden Voyage is Brian Shimmy Paddock from local Americana rock slash gothic heavy metal, Shamans, Shimmy, and the Burns. Hey, Shimmy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. He'll be weighing in as his conscience demands. Ranking Scene News! Okay, so our first topic... Uh, the Purple Palia Punk Show House on North Broadway is being shut down. Uh, the place was an empty old storefront rented by some traveling hipster punks who would crash there when they stopped in town for RV repairs. Uh, they had bathed the place in purple paint and hosted tons of multiple bill acts of all kinds of genres, party, punk, jam, indie, what have you. Uh, our friends Mio, some other bands we know, had played there. Um, any muggy Friday or Saturday night, you can see a smattering of kids outside smoking cigarettes, hanging out, hear the drums inside through the open doors you drove by. Of course, it wasn't up to code and all that, um, not following the rules, just doing what they feel. The cops uh, came and shut it down. Um, they've announced through their different pages they're looking at other options for the next spot now, um, even looking at bigger warehouses and stuff. Um, the possible fear maybe of the cops or the neighbors who might have reported them made me remember that big ghost ship deal in San Francisco from the news. Um, guys, you might remember this. Um, do you think this is a legitimate worry that these folks might have or that the cops might have in this kind of situation? Um, or do you think that this is a right that the uh, Purple Polia kids have to have this kind of space? Sure. Uh, I hadn't been to the Purple Polia yet, uh, unfortunately. But I think it's tough because the rooms we have need to be safe, um, like what happened in Oakland that we were talking about. It's like a massive tragedy, and we have an obligation to the budding scenesters to prevent things like that. But on the flip side, I do think crusty rooms are important, and I'm averse to the sterilization of the scene's aesthetic and the things that come along with that. Yeah, I, I think it really comes down to is this being shut down because it's truly a safety issue? Is it more of a financial permitting issue? Uh, nobody's making a whole lot of money by operating a DIY space. Um, so, you know, I mean, I can see it both ways. You definitely want everybody to be safe. And if this is truly a, a, you know, some sort of fire trap or issue, then that's one thing. But if it's because you didn't, you know, pay the appropriate people, um, for a business that's not really a business, 
you know, that's, that is unfortunate. You know, so we have some friends uh, in these hybrid spaces that are kind of in between, like, Modern Studio and Central Collective that either own the building or they're nonprofit or they're uh, maker space. Their combination of businesses somehow are working that out to work with arts groups and people who want to... Is this kind of a compromise where it's not a technical bar, consumerist space, but it's a place where arts groups can work, or is that still not freeing enough for the, what these kind of kids want or need, crave, somewhere they can actually get wild and, you know, break the rules in the really anarchic way they want to? Sure. I don't know. E- even those kind of hybrid spaces, um, you already have to be at least somewhat uh, known to, to get in there, there's not a, a part of the, to me, the, the pop-up type spaces is that people who don't have an established reputation can get opportunities uh, to get on with maybe touring bands that don't have a following in the area, but, you know, people know the aesthetic of the room, so they'll continue to go there to see those sure. sort of things. Commitment to the establishment rather than the acts that are playing there, like we have at the Pilot Light. Right. Is it one of those things where if you cut the head off one of the, Hydra, it's just going to grow up somewhere else anyways. If they shut it down, it's, I mean, these things are always going to sprout up sure. places, other places anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you see it with, with, like, what you and I are doing. I mean, I, I don't I don't think you and I decided to spearhead concert series as much as, like, we felt frustrated that we couldn't get our friends' shows when they came to town and couldn't set up things when we wanted to. And so we created an outlet for that. So, I mean, you use the living room, and I use my friend's, like, garage space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's the same idea. Like, art's going to happen. Cool. Uh, yeah, moving on to topic two, uh, this is kind of the the flip side of that, um, what these kids possibly are doing something in reaction to. Uh, okay, this is the adult, local, consumer, nightlife culture that's available to us now. Okay, when I moved down here and started going out to bars, when I got my fake ID and then real ID, uh, <laughs> so early... Late teens and then early 20s. Uh, I'd say more than half the bars, you could still smoke. Um, I'd say craft beer culture wasn't quite as big, so beer was kind of cheaper. Beer, um, places were a little bit dingier, and bands were louder and wilder. It was kind of more of a party culture. And um, there's probably good and bad, but I, I would say there were more punk bands in bars, uh, more wild, hard bands in bars, and the bar culture was a little bit more rough, like maybe what is happening in house parties and things still. But now, is is the active beer culture, is the the brewery scene, is the, um, is that sterilizing or like, taking the smoking out of the bars is making the bars so family friendly and shows starting earlier. Is that sterilizing what we do as the bands who play in these bars at all? Is it, what do you guys think about that? I don't think so at all. Okay. Um, and the reason I I think there is definitely a, a, a kind of a divergent thing happening, um, with the, the smoking going out of bars and the rise of craft beer culture and things getting more expensive. That's definitely an issue. Um, but I, 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 I think that it's just a general cultural shift uh, as far as bands go that people just don't 
value music anymore um, to the extent, and, and not all people, but you know, as 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 a group, uh, at least our culture doesn't value music. They don't consume music as its own thing. Um, sure, it yeah. now, it, you know, when you talk to bands that used to have record label and they go on tour and they put out records and they, you know, do that whole thing. Now they have sponsorships and they've got to sell their shit to commercials, and uh, you know, and that's how you make a living. If you if you aren't doing those things, then you're not, you know, nobody's seeing that rock star money anymore. Right. Um, and it's because it, it, it's it's background noise um, to most people now, um, and I think that's partially reflected uh, from the, uh, you know, streaming coming and, uh, you know, MP3 trading and everything happening. Um, sure. People just started to see music not as this impressive thing that, you know, an art that people made, but it's just something that should be free all the time and is always there and it's not something that they have to seek out and work at. So I think that's the question I was trying to ask that I was not doing so good of a job of that you came back around to is is the the format, you know, Marshall McLuhan used to say the medium is the message, the, the way the technology or the format of where we are drives what the message is, and you said that bands have become background noise. And I feel like the way that sometimes the bars uh, or the scene was set up made the band the event. In, in the past, and sometimes places like Capone's in Johnson City still make the band the event the way the stage or the room is set up. Yeah, um, for sure. And sometimes when you're at uh, these nice craft brewery places, it's set up so the band is uh, minimized to be a cute thing in the corner, and then the beer the, the beer tasting of the new, the new brewery that's doing the tap takeover is the event. Uh, See what I'm saying? Oh, that's definitely true with the actual breweries. Or um, a sports bar, or there's all these concept restaurants and concept, and sure, so there's so right. many other things, and music is just one of them now. It feels, almost feels like sometimes. Right, and, and you know, even at the bars, uh, you know, there's, there's early shows at the breweries, and it really depends on the brewery you play at. Uh, we've played in some breweries that were fantastic. Uh, and, you know, we went in, started playing, and everybody stopped what they were doing and sat down in their seat and, you know, started listening. And I was totally shocked because yeah, we also played hear. other breweries uh, where it was not that way at all. Uh, and I think it really uh, partially comes down to who's running the show um, on the brewery end. The, the, our, our best brewery experience as a band, the owner was very involved in the music. He was interested in it. He wanted to talk about it, you know, listen to stuff. Um, and another brewery that makes some of my favorite beer that we've played at several times, uh, not in Knoxville, but that will remain nameless. Uh, they book their tell, shows tell the a year in advance. Just tell us the name of the brewery. <laughs> they, uh, it's an exclamation name. Uh, and they book their shows a year in advance. And the guy straight up told me that music was not a priority. And you can tell from the room, they've got a fantastic room, great space, lots of good things happening. And they put no effort whatsoever. They shove the bands in the corner up against a basketball video game. Um, and if they actually put in a little bit of effort to their sound equipment, it could be a great room. It sounds terrible in there. It's not fun to play. Uh, and you get ignored. Right. Well, one follow-up question I had to, to what you were talking about in the beginning. I, I'm not from Knoxville, um, so I don't have any experience with that Knoxville that you described where there's punk rock shows going downtown. 
are, are you saying that like when you first came here, the downtown scene had much more punk rock shows going on? Uh, uh, I, I think the jam scene was really heavy when I got here. Okay. Uh, so it was it was the jam scene, and then um, the fort had lots of jam and and punk uh, ska shows. I remember lots of sure. Fort Sanders house parties. Um, I would, I was just saying kind of like loud, fast, big. Right. Shows where it seemed like everybody's going to, down to see the show. and Where yeah, people came shows. to rock and roll. Right. The show was the event. Yeah, everybody's rocking and dancing in the, it's in the, a, aisle, in the aisles and the, the you know, floors filling up. So it's, I guess the reason mm-hmm. I ask is it seems like Knoxville now has such a, like, like we keep using the word sterilized, but like, it has this sort of, like, uh, there, there's a sound that can only be described as, as, as the large umbrella of Americana. Yeah, we're comfortable. We have a tasty tree, and we watch a pretty man do something pretty, which, which yes. is very nice, too. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in my 30s. I've got my wife and my child, and that's really comfortable for us now. Too, right, so. yeah. And I'm playing, you know, I'm playing, um, I do living room acoustic shows, so I'm, I'm playing Devil's Advocate. Uh, some of these breweries... Uh, you know, I was, we were talking before the podcast started. Sometimes I could play a punk-type club and not get paid or get paid 50 bucks or something, or I could play one of these breweries and maybe get ignored a little bit while people watch some sports or do a tap takeover but get paid $500. And right. so there's – and have a really professional experience with the staff because they're business people who know what they're doing. And so, you know, there's there's ups and downs and there's, there's you know – I think it also kind of depends on what you're looking to do with your art. Are you looking to be a professional? Um, Are you looking to grow an audience? Are you looking to, you know, hopefully make at least uh, part of your living uh, from doing this? Or are you, you know, going to make a few extra bucks on the side having a good time and drinking free beer? Um, There's nothing wrong with either one of those things. Uh, But, you know, I I personally, we've gotten to a point with the band where if we talk to a venue usually brewery and they say yeah you need to bring your own pa we just don't do it they usually pay us more but we already know if we're bringing our own pa it's not a music venue the people who go over there are not going there to see music so it's already started to decide a certain part what what you can accept and what you can't and what right what you're in for and what you're not you know and and we've taken some where we had to bring on on the road where we brought a pa um purely because if we're going to keep gas in the cars and, you know, have a place to sleep. We needed the payday uh, in between other shows at, you know, more legitimate venues. For sure. Um, or not legitimate, but, you know, more uh, traditional music venues. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a great discussion. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move us on to the next thing. Uh, this next topic is uh, called Adeem Plugs Thing. So, Adeem, talk about some things you like and talk about yourself a little bit, what you're doing. Um, I'm super excited, uh, actually, about Shimmy's new EP, and I'm not just saying that because you're in the same room with us, but it is nice to have you present. Yeah, it's uh, I, I listened to it a good four times um, con- consecutively when you sent it over, and especially the lyrical content is just really chilling. It's a, it's great. It's 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 a it's an emotive piece of work. I'm doing a Sound of Silence on July 29th. That's this Saturday, but I don't know when this will actually air because I don't know what the turnaround is on on broadcast uploads you know tell them about these songwriters because i looked up these some of these songwriters uh knowing that you know since i have my own thing i'm not going to be able to go and i watched a bunch of georgia english videos and i didn't realize she was dating the guy from my politic i've seen your other thing and 
uh, I got really into her, and you know, she seems amazing. So she's talk about her. She's so good. She told me recently that she she'd been like getting uh, the Caston's girlfriend label from like people in <laughs> in their circle. And so I've I've started calling Caston uh, George's boyfriend. I think that's uh, maybe be <laughs> after she, I watched some of her stuff. Oh, I think she's that's what phenomenal! I, <laughs> I, I, she was actually in Bar at Barley's mm-hmm. in Maryville uh, a couple weeks back, and I was able to to stop out and catch a full set of hers for the first time in a long time. Talk about um, her style; it's really really unique. It's so eclectic. Uh, there there yeah, are elements eclectic. of Lucinda mm-hmm. Williams. Uh, there are elements of, of, of Tom Waits in her songwriting. And, uh, like, like a lot Dixieland of... Dixieland jazz. Dixieland jazz. Old swing, old swing stuff. Blues. Piedmont blues. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did a B.B. King cover that was that was really chilling. And she's been doing it since she was, like, really young, right? Has yeah. Like early teen yeah. years. Oh, yeah. She's mm-hmm. a much better guitarist than any of us. Right, yeah. She was... <laughs> to, to be sure. Yeah, she was treading it. So um, she'll be at that. She'll be there. Mm-hmm. Sam Hatmaker is actually a Knoxville songwriter. She came up, and uh, I met her, actually... Uh, several years back at the uh, open mic they used to do. They did a songwriter's night at Square Room. Did you ever attend the Square Room open mics? Uh, no, I never made one of It was Adam Whipple would host them. and uh, It's a great room. I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful sound. The, the stage is nice, and people were really receptive. It was pretty much all songwriters, obviously, but it's kind of nice to have conversations about songwriting with other songwriters who can recognize what you're doing badly and, and, and what you're doing well and kind of compliment you accordingly. Um, but yeah, she's she's really great. She's fantastic. She's like signed to Warner Brothers now and living okay. in Nashville and doing the, doing the, living the dream. So yeah, if you have not come to Adeem's Sound and Silence series, um, it's, I would say every month, every sometimes two months, uh, just kind of whenever he throws them together, they're at Central Collective always, usually four songwriters, usually around a theme of uh, a song, great, uh, usually independent Americana or indie songwriter who he admires, mm-hmm. and artists. Uh, usually there's one or two locals and one or two folks from Nashville or other surrounding areas who are, you know, we're really lucky to have come into the area, and um, they always, you know, wow the crowd. We sh- so, I, should, I should mention that Josh Smith is playing because... Yes. He's such a good friend of all of ours here, mm-hmm. and he's a, a, a dream. So definitely catch that, and if not, there will be more forthcoming. Um, okay, next topic. Uh, topic number four. This is another long-form discussion here. Um, can, I, can I read it in a dramatic voice? Please do. Knoxville Mercury shuts, shuts down! down! Yes, uh, and once again, we are finding ourselves without um, an alt-weekly in Knoxville. Um, and the thing that this brought up in my mind uh, that I was kind of convicted about and feeling like an asshole about is that I was not one of the people who contributed money to the Knoxville Mercury. Uh, and I'm one of the people who enjoyed the fruits of their labor and read it faithfully. Uh, for some reason, it never occurred to me to be one of the people that gave money to it. Um, I used to, I've been a journalist for a while worked for Blank, um, I used to work for AC Entertainment, I've been in bands for a while, and I've kind of gotten this spoiled mentality that I'm one of the people kind of behind the rope, or that I, with the lanyard, or that I get the, the pass, and I don't really like donate to Kickstarter campaigns, yeah. I kind of expect my friends to give me their CD, um, and I've started to think that, that maybe that's a messed up mentality, uh, but I've always thought like, oh, I don't expect my friends to buy my CD who are musicians. I'll give them my CD. They'll give me theirs. We don't really 
give each other money because we're all poor musicians and I don't I'm starting to think maybe that's messed up and I need to be figuring out ways to contribute my money to local stuff what do you guys think about this I mean do we have blind spots as artists to not be supporting who, sh- who should be bankrolling artists and media in town if not other people who really are really passionate about it oh, I, I definitely relate to that um, the idea like uh when do I get to this point where, like, oh, I just can go to these shows for free because I know all the people, but at the end of the day, like, if, if everyone that gets on the inside and is supporting this thing gets in for free, then there's no one really supporting it. And it's just yeah, who's the go people out. who are going to come <laughs> pay for this? Like, when you think? And I, I think that's really the crux of the matter is that, you know, you both hit the nail on the head that so many people who are involved uh, and who are, you know, putting out their own art are saying, okay, well, I do this, I know all these people, so I should be able to you know, get into this for free, and they're not looking at it on a, on a bigger picture level. Right. And I think that's pretty uh, pretty widespread. And I, I think that's probably not just a, a, a thing that's happening in Knoxville. I think that's probably going on most places. Well, sure. I mean, it's, it's not even just in the music scene, I think. I, you see people complaining about, like, mom-and-pop shops closing down, and people are like, what, we love that place so much? And it's like, well, why the hell did you go to Walmart all the time? If you love that place so much, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, you have to put your money into the things that you want to, to, to sustain. Right. And we don't do that. I mean, I, I don't, I at McDonald's today. I'm, I'm great at showing up at Lost and Found on Record Store Day. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, here's another question I have for you. Um, why is it that um, people with, you know, Kickstarter, GoFundMe, at Patreon, People are really willing to give money to something that has not been created, but then they're not willing to buy something that's already been created that's right there. Like, people will not, I can't, hands, I've never asked somebody to pay for a CD ahead of time, but I have a CD right there and nobody ever wants to buy it. But I've noticed people have done lots of successful Kickstarter campaigns. What is it about paying it ahead of time? I think that there's a couple things. One, uh, there's probably some element of uh, collaborative feeling or that I'm making this happen. Um, if it's already, you know, if somebody's out at your show, they're like, shit, man, I got 15 bucks left. If I buy a CD, I only can only have one more beer. But <laughs> if I don't buy a CD, I've got three. Uh, and, you know, I've almost had that exact conversation with people who are like, oh, how much is a CD? Ten bucks? Well, we take two, you know. Uh, right. kind of situation but then uh, we did a uh, it's all sec- about people's alcoholism and how can they sustain I mean, that's that a, definitely <laughs> a component when you're playing you know in the play- most of the places that you know I, I play um, you know that's that's definitely a factor uh, and a decision for people um, but uh, paying in advance also uh, and I think this is important is that when people are contributing to Kickstarter they're already familiar with that artist uh, another thing, people don't like new shit for the most part. They don't want, like, they, you know, they're like, uh, you know, oh, that new thing everybody says is great, but I don't want to get into it because it's, you know, effort to open yourself up and to learn about it and get involved in it and make an investment uh, in a new thing. So if they're already familiar, they're like, oh, this is my favorite band, I'll pay them. But, oh, I like those guys that played, but eh, I don't know if I want to, you know, spend my Taco Bell money. Sure. I, I tend to think when, because I've, I've run two, maybe three successful Kickstarters now. I can't remember. Yeah, you're, uh, the, you're kind of an expert on this. This one. is what I do. This is my, th- this is my thing. 
I think, honestly, that it has a lot to do with, like, goals and people seeing your goals and seeing how what they're doing affects you reaching your goals. Like, it's, like, really tangibly laid out. Like, like if, if I buy a CD from you, I've just, like, paid you money for something you already had and it doesn't really matter. But if I invest in your Kickstarter, then, like, I know that you have to get $1,500 or whatever to do this thing you want to do. And I know that if I give you $15, that is, like, 2% of your goal moved forward. Like, that's, I can see that I did that. And I think it makes people feel like they're really helping you achieve your goals in a way that they don't feel like when they're just looking at a merch table with a bunch of CDs. And I'm going to go back to that whole medium is the message thing. My theory, and, this, and I have a kind of unifying theory I'm going to come back to and add something else later, is that um, people are more interested in the process than the product, I think. Um, yeah. They're more interested in watching the thing be built, seeing how the pie gets made or whatever, than actually tasting the pie. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily need to sit there and eat the whole pie they like being invited to the bakery and watching it being made they like you know seeing all that behind the scenes stuff mr rogers right um so yeah and then so so matthew and i listen to matthew all the time i listen to all these songs of his i've been telling people about him trying to get them to listen to him not getting that much other people to to infect them with the energy i have about matthew but then his video just dropped, right? This, have you all seen this new video he has? The pizza one? Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. It's He's, amazing. It's so I well produced. I saw it on uh, Knox Music Warehouse. The cinematography is amazing. You know, now I'm finally getting some people to get as excited about him as me because of the video. And I've noticed in a scroll thing, you could have a link to a band camp or a link to a free album or anything, but it's audio and people don't necessarily click on it like they do a video with the circle and the triangle that you can click on that starts a video instantly. And I've even noticed that I know that song so much better than his other songs already because I can watch the video while I listen to the song and look at those cool visuals and stuff. I think, again, the process, people love to see. The medium is the message, the video, the, sometimes the audio and all these little things that we think, all the little sounds he spent so much time putting in there, the audio is almost secondary to the visual, the process. That exact goes back to what I was saying earlier about uh, in a different topic, but that the music has kind of become secondary to the, uh, you know, aesthetics or whatever else is going on. Yeah, and it's, and it's, you could probably even trace that back to the dawn of music videos is what the the beginning of that trend. And it's kind of moved that it's way. It's goddamn MTV, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go ahead and move on to the next topic so we can. Today <laughs> in music <laughs> history. <laughs> Today in music history, Tina filed for divorce from Ike. Today in music history, Prince's movie Purple Rain opened in the U.S. Today in music history, our podcast made its initial broadcast. Woo! Ah, yay. Ladies and gentlemen, now Shimmy will read a local concert calendar for you in a modern musical styling. Well, hello, everyone. On August 11th, Shimmy and the Burns will be at the Little Chicago Music and Arts Festival in Johnson City. On August 26th, Shimmy and the Burns will be at Jimmy's Place in Tazewell, Tennessee. And September 25th, Shimmy... Wait, wait a second. Shimmy, are you just doing Shimmy and the Burns shows? 
No, man, that uh, September 25th one is uh, just me by myself. Oh. And that's been your concert <laughs> calendar. Okay, uh, for our next one, we have a PSA from Adim. Hi, kids. It's professional music person, Adim the Artist. I know you get nervous when you're in a new venue and you just got on stage and you want everything to be just right. You're worried about how you're going to come across to the crowd. Heck, constant worry about how you're perceived by others and constant need to articulate and express something about that is probably why you're a songwriter in the first place, am I right? But hey there, when you sound check for interminably long periods of time and keep asking for so much goddamn more of yourself in the monitor, aren't you kind of undermining whatever positive, relaxed, cool image of yourself you were hoping we'd all come to appreciate once we heard your awesome songs? Why not trust the sound guy who's here night after night in this room to set you up and listen as he goes and adjust things as needed? Take it easy, champ, and start this show. We're all losing patience here. Everybody, uh, at this point in the show, I'd like to turn it over to Luke, who is going to shamelessly plug a few things around town that he is digging, as well as share a little bit about what's going on with a few of his projects. Um, yeah, I'm uh, real interested in this new EP that's out by a guy named Albert Murrian. Uh, when I first moved to Knoxville and I was going to UT 2003, 2004, there was this band called 1220, and they were just tearing it up all around town. It was this group of, well, they were high school kids at the time, and they were in their skinny jeans, and they had all their Gibson SGs, and they were playing, like, ACDC and all this crazy uh, stuff like that, just rocking it out in uh, New Amsterdam and all these places. And fast forward, you know, 15 years, and I just, like, randomly uh, heard about him, through a friend, uh, well, our drummer, Andrew, was joining another band to help out, uh, and he was playing uh, with him in his uh, EP release show, and um, started listening to his EP, it's amazing. Uh, he's gotten really into uh, John Lennon's like early solo stuff, and uh, just has this really, you know, power pop, um, indie rock, sound and it's just really tight uh, Matt Honkin and drummed on it and he produced it with with Albert and his old 1220 bandmate um, Alex Trammell and uh, anytime you can get involved with Matt Honkin it's a good opportunity yes. because then you will get to say his name um, <laughs> yes. because he has the best name in Knoxville yes he's also a really nice guy but it's more about the name right yeah so and we have this kind of two-layer drum connection because Honkinen is drummed on one of our albums and mastered one of our albums and then he also his live drummer is Andrew Tinsley who's our current drummer so we're playing with them August 8th at Barley so I'm really excited about sharing the stage with them and uh, we're going to try to exhaust Andrew Tinsley during our set so that you right. know we can make him them look bad in sure. their set so but no I'm really looking, how good you guys are yeah uh, I went to their modern studio EP release show and it was amazing um, Andrew's Tinsley's um, fiance Emily sings harmony with Albert. They sound beautiful together. Um, so yeah, I think it's gonna be a great show. Um, the EP's amazing. It's called Art Rock, and it features all these different songs about different um, famous artists like Pablo Picasso, Andy Warhol, and it's gonna be a series, a, tri- a trilogy of EPs about different people. So that's an EP I really like. Uh, also, I've been really digging on Chimmy's EP. Um, Jimmy's EP is called Villains, and it's a very sparse, raw um, Americana EP. Uh, Blonde Bones' new stuff is amazing. I've only heard the new s- single, but I-, I heard them, you know, on July 4th play with the Symphony Orchestra. That was amazing. Just yeah. saw them play at uh, Blue Plate yesterday. They've got this new, you know, um, Christians playing as electric more and bringing out that jazz guitar 
styling and Joe's on bass now and they've got this new drummer and it's just they're bringing out this jazzy feel this indie feel it's just great so Blonde Bones is just sounding so good these days and if you, if you want to support Blonde Bones just use the hashtag boycott Blonde Bones yeah hashtag boycott Blonde yeah. Bones so yeah there, there's some people I'm really just digging lately um I still do this from the living room house concert it's all about getting people in a living room to sit and listen quietly to somebody's actual song you know where you just enjoy the music uh, we always have a dinner home cooked dinner before it um it's really nice you get to know the people that are playing get to know each other uh, it's at a different historic home usually every time uh we have one that is saturday july 29th uh, it's kakuli and gypsy fuego they play django reinhardt style gypsy jazz and then August 12th, uh, we have um, in a historic row house uh, downtown, we have a Women in Song Night with some great female songwriters, Karen Reynolds, Zoe Nutt, Dajay Morris, and Shayla McDaniel. So I'm really excited about that as well. Cool, man. I'm sorry to make it difficult. It's okay. You're, I mean, you're like a it's piece of shit person. It's fault. It's <laughs> the heavy house. Um. Neither of us really respect you as a person. You're a great songwriter, uh, and, a, and a Knoxville treasure as a musician, but uh, you're just a, a goddamn awful person. Um, this is the part of our podcast where we have a conflict with our guests. This should be a, a segment every time as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I yes. realize this part is probably being cut. Uh, it should not to be. Step up to the no way. This, this, stay in. this stays in. <laughs> right, well, in that case, fuck you guys. I'm leaving early. <laughs> okay, so women in music. I did an album called Syracuse in 2013, which has since been pooled. Um, I mean, I, I like to consider myself a feminist, but I'm a man in the United States. And so, like, I, I kind of think as a, as a man, feminism is almost unachievable. Like, the best you can hope to uh, accomplish is recovering misogyny. Um, See, that's, yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing I'm hoping we can talk about here. That's, I think that's a great, uh, yeah, yeah recovering I have a similar... misogynist experience yeah. i've got a song admitting we have a problem maybe <laughs> working, uh, the, working the steps yeah, yeah. and all we can do is hope to listen and continue yeah. to learn and uh yeah I, I do think it would probably uh rub people the wrong way to have that topic without a woman present yeah and i didn't and maybe that's that before and maybe that's a great way to be honest about it too i would say part of the reason i'm doing that show is that i've come to find that there's so many female artists that I respect. Um, yeah. I I didn't realize in the past how many how much I was neglecting to read female authors and listen to and yeah intentionally and consciously watch female directors and read female authors and sure listen to female songwriters and things like that just as a practice to write kind of the extremely lopsided you know when you're a little boy they give you action figures and you watch what the boy character is doing and you identify with what the boy is doing and you don't take the time to identify with what the girl is yeah. doing. Yeah, no, you assume these largely performative gender roles and <laughs> I teach English now and we have a lot of great novels coming out with female protagonists, which is, you know, interesting to be able to teach the boys in my class female protagonists. Right, and to identify with them. That are way, and learn to learn to identify with these you know, female protagonists who are doing things they would never dream of doing. So, I don't know. It's, we're learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. I feel like I'm in a very nascent stage, I guess. Of, sure. Yeah. One of my favorite new records I've heard in the last year is Case Lang Veers. I know Katie Lang and 
Have you heard that one? Mm-mm. Oh man, it's like a super you know super group of uh, of uh, female songwriters who got together. That's Atomic Number. That single really. That's awesome. I'll have to check it out. Gear Ted Head Studio, Studio Recording, recording talk. talk. Okay. Disclaimer: If you are averse to the minutiae of techno babbly gearhead jargon and find your head spinning during this next segment, you may need to sit down near a house plant or a sunny window with a glass of water, or pull your car over to the side of the road and get out and walk around for a minute. Uh, the band stuff we we uh, are actually recording another EP right now uh, with the full band. Uh, that we're actually doing uh, at the Harless House. Um, our guitar player and bass player are brothers and live together. Uh, and so that's taking place in their living room. Our previous two full band albums, one was done in a really professional studio um, where a lot of... Where did uh, you guys record that? Uh, the, the most Our most recent album was at Shed 55 Studio cool. uh, here in Knoxville. It's uh, run by a guy called Dave DeWitt. Um, and he does, uh, he did like the, at least one of the Kelsey's Woods records. Awesome. He does, he did all, uh, he, he does everything. Like he's Matt Woods dude. Oh like man. They get together and do all, all those records. So, he, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing. Sure. Um, and then our previous record we recorded in 12 hours, uh, at another studio in Knoxville that was not really geared towards doing full band type stuff, but we were in a room, small room that had, uh, you know, a, a drum box, basically, almost. Nice. Um, and we didn't use a click. We just played everything live and then went back and overdubbed the acoustic and the vocals. Wow. Uh, and that was pretty much how that first one came out. Uh, and because of the nature of the way it was recorded, we weren't able to turn some of the stuff up as loud as we wanted to be. Right. And then, you know, the mixes weren't where we wanted them to be, you know. Um, so we learned a lot. Uh, and then we learned a lot working with Dave. And Wes, our guitar player, actually has a d- degree in sound engineering. Uh, Handy. So he's doing our new one, um, which is about 70% of the way finished. Nice. Uh, and then my most recent one, uh, basically what happened is we had, I had enough songs for a record, uh, and then I cut four of them from the band project uh, for being, for lack of a better way of putting it, too folky. Um, sure. We're trying to be uh, more rocking, uh, kind of across the board. And so uh, the six songs that we're putting on the full band record are, um, there's a couple that are slower, but they're rock and roll songs um, sure. of varying speeds. Uh, but these four that are on this EP are most definitely not. So it kind of would, would have been a little incongruent. And my original intent was to multi-track everything and play all the parts myself, except the drums, have uh, our drummer from the band do that, and then put it out. Uh, but when I started demoing it, I decided that I liked the stripped-down feel. Um, and really, I'm not, uh, I think uh, a local journalist said that uh, something about the, my, my, my voice was serviceable, but wasn't going to be winning uh, any... <laughs> vocal contests that's great uh anytime soon uh, and i think that's a very accurate statement you know i i would never be on american idol uh even if not because i'm think i'm too cool or whatever. i mean i wouldn't because i don't like that kind of thing but yeah, I, i'm not talented enough to be even if i didn't want to 
You you would be awesome um, on American Idol. So I would be I would definitely make TV for being <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, you know, and I'm not really a fantastic guitar player either, uh, and or a very good one actually. You're an but, artiste. Um, you know, this segment has just come like Shimmy tears himself apart. I just want to <laughs> write good songs, um, and it's really important to me that the lyrics mean something and aren't. I didn't. The song isn't just made up to be a song. Yeah. Um, and that it, it's something that's important to me personally. Um, and that I just do the best that I can do. Um, I'm not saying anybody else is going to like it, but, uh, so anyway, I stripped this way down and really just took my demos almost and, and, and putting those out. Uh, there's some things in there that I probably, uh, could have done a little bit better, but I think it all kinds of builds to what I was trying to accomplish. So hopefully it works out, but I just used a, uh, a USB condenser mic. Uh, I had other gear that I was planning to use when I re-recorded everything, and then I liked it so much I just sold all that stuff and kept the original tapes. <laughs> That's awesome. And then I used the money to pay for the mastering. <laughs> so you found it was nicer to step back and get simpler, and you even had some layered instruments that then you went and took back out, right? I did. I had uh, like an electrical lead part on one and uh, some bass on that same one. Uh, and I was working out the parts that I was going to put on the other stuff, and then I listened to it without it, and I actually liked it better. Uh, when I hear them now, I am like, oh, where's that, you know, guitar lick? Right, right. Uh, but I think it was distracting from the gravitas. Or, you know. Sure, and, there, and there's something, I think, like, Roger Allen Wade does that. He always records with just himself and a guitar. And it's very, very intimate. But there's also something about, like, th- there are parts on that CD, like, violin parts and piano parts that, like, aren't there, that I know. Every time I listen to it, I hear and I play, and even when I'm singing it to myself, I have these parts that I've, like, written in my mind. I think that people do that, even if they don't write music. They have, like, these ideas that they've built up just from the things they've listened to over the years, and when it's stripped down like that, they start to kind of, like, imagine how they would want it to sound. So there's, like, almost a collaborative process of listening to tracks like that that's kind of fun. And, yeah, and I think that's also, you know, a really well-written song lyrically will do the same thing when, you know, you make a very short statement, uh, but it really paints a a large picture, uh, or or people paint their own picture and fill in all the gaps. Absolutely. You should send them the Shimmy Choose Your Own Adventure CD pack with, like, little drumsticks on the CD (laughs) and, like, a little symbol and, like, like attached to the CD, and they can can choose to... That's that's so good. Add their little band to it. You even found some mistakes in there that you chose to leave in, correct? I did, Uh, and some of them were happy accidents. There's this one where uh, I tried this guitar thing that um, if I was going to do it the way I originally would have done, I would have just left off, Um, and it almost sounds kind of stumbly, the way the guitar is played, and then the next lyric I talk about stumbling through a house, Um, and... It, I didn't do that on purpose. It just happened. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know. I don't know if anybody else is going to see that and think, oh, that was cool. But I did. Yep. I have mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, I, I actually have gone through a bunch of different amps trying to find the one I like. And I finally found one that is perfect for me. Uh, it's a matchless Spitfire. Um, and it's part of the reason I like it. It's only got three knobs, which, are, you know, the, are 
lead guitar player Wes, the more knobs something has, the more he likes it. <laughs> um, me, on this one, it's got volume, uh, tone, and gain, and I just turn the gain all the way up, and then, you know, even everything else out from there, depending on what guitar I'm playing. Um, and I have a bunch of pedals on my board. I mean, not a ton compared to most people, but for probably more than I really need. Uh, but I usually run all the time a compressor um, because I'm usually playing the rhythm part and uh, sometimes, you know, I get a little excited uh, and so there would be some weird dynamics. Um, and then I run a, uh, for lack of the, the term that's getting thrown around now, is a transparent overdrive uh, pretty much all the time and then a, uh, a, de- a delay uh, as a slapback, and then on some songs I'll, I'll have it set up where I can turn off the slapback, and it'll be um, like a tape echo. Uh, and I've got a reverb pedal that I don't use that much. And then on a few songs I uh, use a chorus, and my very, very favorite one, um, it's also the cheapest one I have, uh, is a Boss Super Overdrive. And uh, on the really rocking ones, uh, I like to kick that on, and man, it just... It, it makes me feel feelings that <laughs> I've never gotten from anything else. Well, uh, we're very excited that we get to share with you a song from Knoxville's hit singer-songwriter, um, Mr. Uh, Shimmy of Shimmy and the Burns. Child in my heart cries out in vain. I spent 37 years learning to look away. Oh no. Oh 
Hey, this has been Toon Boys with Luke Brogdon and Adeem the Artist. We'll see you next time here on uh, Toon Boys. <laughs> <laughs>